Welcome to another episode of What's New in Wagyu. It's again Stephen here, and I am back with the embryo guy, Mr. Sean. Hello. And we're going to wander down a road of what is a proper donor? What do we like to see when we choose donors? What do we like to see when, you know, when I'm evaluating a cow for being a donor? And then Sean's going to talk about the donors that he sees as a successful donor versus one that might not be worth having. So it, it's part of the game. It's what we do. We have to make these decisions all the time. And it's how we make our herds better and the industry better as a whole. So when we pick donors, I like donors that are very maternal. I also like donors that have good feet, good legs, structurally sound, not a lot of, you know, there, there could be bits and pieces that are missing, but we'll fix those with the bulls we're breeding them to. But overall, I want it. I want a donor that's easy to handle, that doesn't get stressed all the time, and that has the ability to provide me with good flushes repeatedly. It doesn't do me any good for them to have a 20 one time and zero the next. Like we want overall consistency, and it happens. It happens for numerous reasons, cows, semen, whatever you want to talk about. But I do want a cow that is at least consistent with the amount of eggs that she is producing each time we flush her. So, Sean, what is one of the things that you see right now, because you, you do all breeds, that people are are choosing in donors? Uh, one of the big things uh, that I get asked is, how can we get a maximum number of embryos? And the first thing you can do to, to figure that out is if you have access to previous records, um, that's the best thing you can look at because the number of oocytes that they're ovulating on that gives a good indicator of what their offspring are going to do so if her entire pedigree only ever gives two or three she's probably going to be a two to three embryo producer so that's a big thing that if you can get a hold of the you know past record sheets and also when you look at those sheets you're always going to talk to one guy and he's going to say oh she's a she flushes 10 embryos and then as you go back in the history oh yeah she hit 10 when she was a three-year-old and they've only ever seen two embryos since then so you're still going to get some of those but um, on a whole if you have a cow that's doing uh, multi you know good groups of embryos they usually produce them for quite a while um, but also cows that are in good you know like we said i think we said last week or last time that their body condition that you don't want them too fat too thin just kind of making them prime for that uh, production um, also as you mentioned earlier the docility um, cows that are uh, really flighty scared if you walk into the pan and they're uh, in the far corner you have to go chase them and they always running with their tail up head up running full steam wherever they're going um, chances are that cow is going to have a lot of cortisol in her system and she's she's going to be stressed and that's going to hurt your embryo production and numbers do you think that the wagyu we have here the one that likes to hide once you start giving shots do you think she's cortisol <laughs> responsive or just a nuisance to you um judging by her history uh her production history 
it has nothing to do with worry. I think that's just where she comes from as a calf that she was raised. I believe she was raised in Montana. And so she was probably put in a pasture, had a lot of wild animals come by. And so it was just a life instinct that she needs to, to freak out. But the, the reason I, the, the way I can tell that she's not really a, a bad donor is once we get her up in the corner and we kind of two guys corner her she'll actually kind of just bury her head and just kind of sit there um, a really flighty cow will try anything they can do to run you over and that's kind of like a good indicator if you can get them up in a confined space and they kind of still act decent there and they're just kind of a little bit fidgety they're usually all right it's the ones that no matter what you do, they're going to run you over. And that's, you know, important because Sean has different donors from us and they all kind of probably have their own quirks. My my big D4 cow, the cow that I, she is my best cow wheel. Plain and simple, breeding wise, production wise, the amount of money that she's produced in embryos over her lifetime, she is the best cow wheel. And I feel like she's kind of a pain sometimes, but I guarantee here she's just up in your stocks when you're ready. Yeah, she's always locked in. She's she she knows the routine. It seems like she you know, and every time we've had a failure with her, it's not been her. We've had eggs come out, they just weren't fertilized. So whether that was my faulty semen that we brought in, or or whatever, it never was her not producing eggs for that semen to fertilize. Yeah, and again, that comes down to watching your tanks, how the how semen was handled and shipped. Um, and there are, you know, when you're dealing with uh, this semen that's uh, getting fairly old, back to the foundation stuff, sometimes that's going to happen because people have bought it and they've held on to it. And now they're, it's worth something and they're looking for a little bit of money and they'll, they'll cut it loose. Well, and I brought some semen in this year um, from, from down in Texas that... Like, like we went zero on and so I had and I had a veterinarian go and do you know thought and give us a count and the count was almost nothing so luckily those people were kind enough to replace the semen but you know it, it worries me so when the, the new semen got here I had it tested again just to make sure that we weren't getting the same problem over and over again and that happens you know it happens in every breed there's nowhere you can get away from it it's really how the tanks were managed where the semen was held because we use rusha and judo semen and our rusha conception rates have been great yeah i have really enjoyed and we we've been able to with that rusha stuff we've been able to single strut single strut um on a donor which my kind of my gold standard is two straws per flush and breeder twice about 12 hours apart and we've been able to do it with one it's been pretty good and and that's that has a lot to say with sean knowing where the cows are in their process right and, and the cow that he's talking about is the one that he has to corner so he he has a lot of love for that cow i guess <laughs> <laughs> well it worked out for me i only had to corner, corner her one time that day instead of twice yeah yeah and that's and that's the thing like I think that people sometimes uh, take aggression and fear rather than cattle instinct as a problem. I, I think that's a problem sometimes because she's the same way at home. She might paw the ground, but she's never going to hurt you. She's just 
it's where she came from. It, it, we bought her and brought her here. The cows that we own have owned their whole lives. They never act like that. But she is one of those that we brought in because she was a good genetic cow. And we deal with her nonsense sometimes. Yeah, I... I have watched her. She loves to paw the ground. That's her first. As soon as you jump in the pen, you, she starts pawing the ground clear across there. But as soon as you walk up to her, she just puts her head up and then starts walking, you know, at a trot. But yeah. I wonder if when she was younger, like whoever had her before, that worked to buffalo them to not make her move or do what they wanted her to do. That, that pawing the ground. I wonder if it's a learned, a learned trait. I really, I really think it is because she's really a kind cow. Yeah, I, I felt had my daughters help me sort her, so it's not like yeah. she's at risk. Uh, one thought that I had while you were talking about uh, using one straw on these cows, um, I will say that every time that we have done a one straw flush, we've all we have a previous record history that we've been using two we've been using two okay we're working great with the two and then we risk the one straw so i wouldn't pull the trigger on the the ruchaw right out of the gate brand new donor never don't know anything about her and so before we even tried any of the cool old expensive stuff on her she was here for three collections so i remember that and you were not as happy as i was when i was like hey we want to do this what what do you think and that's the thing. I didn't say, Sean, you have to do it. I just came up like, hey, is can we do this because of the cost of the embryos? Yeah. You, you got to have the value there, and it doesn't work out if you don't get anything out of it. And Well, and, and that's the truth. Like, if I didn't have the confidence in Sean and his dad and their system, I would have never been like, well, let's, let's burn $5,000 in semen with one straw. I would have burned $10,000 in semen if I didn't have... If I didn't have the ability to know that, you know, when I asked him, he's like, yeah, we could probably try that. It, it sh we could probably do that. There wasn't like, oh, it's going to be a home run, but it was, we can probably make it work. And and that's huge when it comes to conventional collection. IVF, you guys get to use one straw on a bunch of oocytes all the time, but conventional collection is usually done with two to three straws, depending on where you're at. So. Well, and even with IVF, uh, just depending on the production standpoint, um, that one straw may still produce bupkis. And yeah, you could fertilize the oocytes, but it doesn't mean they're gonna be embryos. Yeah, so, and fortunately with these last two that we've done one straw on, we've, we've done pretty well on them. There's been, I think, three or four uh, unfertilized eggs, but that's to be expected when you're doing one straw. You know, and, and they've all been good flushes. Like, I, I don't really like to tell people what we're getting for flush numbers because it's not any of anybody else's business. It's kind of like asking a guy how much money he's got in his wallet. But, you know, we, we average because of our breeding of our cows and the genetics that we choose and the things that we pick to bring forward, we average, we average about 10 embryos per flush throughout the lifetime of the cow. And that's when we go zeros with everything in between. You know, and it is what it is. Like, Sean, they they have a, a, a system here. I'm gonna have him talk about it a little bit. How they receive payment for for their work, because somebody asked me that in an email the other day. Is how how does how does an embryologist make money? So I'm gonna let Sean tell you a little bit how the charging process for their operation works. 
Well, I guess uh, I don't want to put it into, I guess, too detailed, but yeah. um, just basic overall. <clears throat> how, how do embryologists get paid? So, the production system that we have here, we do it on a per embryo basis. Um, so we're charging a flat um, feed and yardage because uh, sometimes people will drop off a cow and say, well, I don't need her done for a few weeks. We need to get her acclimated. Or sometimes people are like, hey, as soon as I drop her off, let's ramp her up and get going. So there's just kind of a base feed and yardage. Um, and then we do kind of a, we've started doing a base cost just to cover our expenses. Um, we used to just do it on a per embryo basis. And so when the client took a hit at zero, we took a hit at zero, but we, we had to adjust that because we were starting to get a lot of those 14, 15, 16 year olds and the guys were just, let's run her again, run her again, run her again. It's like, man, I, I can't afford this. <laughs> so I had to start charging them so that well, make sure they didn't do it. And medication's expensive, guys. Let's be honest about it. Yeah. Uh, as we talked last time, you know, FSH, you know, 230 a bottle. So that's 20 milliliters. And we're typically using 14 milliliters on a donor, just trying to, like, we cut, save a little bit of cost. If you talk to Faltropin, they, or uh, BioNiche, they want a, oh, I guess it's Vitiquinol now. They yeah, sold it to Vitiquinol. Right. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they say uh, use a full bottle every donor. And I was like, man, that. Wow, that's a lot of, that's a lot of medication. <laughs> yeah. And, on a full-grown Holstein cow, yeah, you you got to use a bottle because they're milking so heavy and they burn through that system. But so after that base cost, we're we're a per embryo cost, and then we we cap it after so many embryos. So that way, if you you know you do luck out and you get twenty or thirty or something that you still can afford to do it, that you know that this is going to be my maximum cost. My favorite part is when Sean's dad goes, he got a jackpot on that one. <laughs> His cost for embryo was a lot less because of how many there were. That's that's always a good thing to hear from time to time. Yeah, and we have done some cows that have been, you know, in the 50s for good viable embryos that we've frozen. And uh, to be honest, that guy was about $25, $30 an embryo on our pricing schedule. So he was about down to, Base. we're, we're going to use semen <laughs> cost on these embryos. So they're, they're pretty cheap to get out from. But yeah, quite often they, I have seen a lot of embryos that they come in that the production cost is around $50 that they get a good production and which is big on, you know, if those embryos will value those embryos and um, a lot of guys can take those embryos and say, well, I'm going to sell off eight or, you know, seven or eight of them. And then I'm going to keep the other 14 of them and I'm going to have that and I'm going to have all my bills paid for and away we go. And that's the big part, guys. Everybody, you know, when you're doing this, you have to have a, a product people are wanting to buy. It doesn't do it's any good to bring a donor that no one's going to want. Like that, that doesn't make any sense. And two, that animal has to add some value to the breed and your program. You know, the reason that embryo transfer is so big and popular is because it allows you to duplicate your females. You know, a bull will have hundreds of offspring throughout its life, but most cows, unless you're using some form of 
embryo transfer work, they're very limited on the amount of calves they can have throughout their life. And that's, that's really why it's important. And, and there are some cows out there in the Wagyu world that you can get 20 or 30 embryos of flush. They're there, they're out there. I've heard a lot lately, like seven to 10 is kind of the norm. Is that kind of the norm across most breeds? Um, here at our facility, we average somewhere between eight and nine. As we look back at all the data, it's somewhere around eight to nine. And that's kind of what we based most of our pricing schedule off of so that we know we have average cows producing average embryos that this is about what we're going to be making. And that's, that's important, right? Because this is Sean's business and our, my business is having the cows. So we have to have a happy medium there where we're both making money or it doesn't work. Sean wouldn't do this if he wasn't getting paid, trust me. <laughs> as much fun as it is, you're right. <laughs> he, he definitely wouldn't want to have to leave his family to go implant embryos in other states if it was just for free. Like it just, you're trying to make your business profitable and that's theirs. Sean, is there something that, that of late, you know, when people bring you new donors that you've been looking for that, you know, is this donor going to be easy to deal with, hard to deal with, or there's some telltale signs of that at all? Um, usually we we take 16 days and run a set on her and a flush cycle, and we usually know by the end of that cycle. Um, a lot of times, um, like the, the cow we have here that you've been talking about, uh, when you drop her off, you go, oh boy. But, you know, after two or three weeks of walking around them, looking at them, and just seeing how they react, um, we get a pretty good feel. Um, just, it, it really comes down to time with the animals. You can't just, there are some cows that I've watched them. Uh, several years ago, we had a, a client drop some cows off, and they were some heifers, and uh, these heifers were raised up in uh, Kilgore in the mountains. <laughs> up, up where they have to fight grizzly bears. And wolves. Yes. And uh, these heifers, as soon as they got out of the trailer, we have a pretty big pen that they're in, and they ran just as hard as they could to the far back corner away from us, and darn near jumped the electric fence trying to get even further away from us. And we're like, ah, oh, this is... And some of those calmed down but quite a few of them we ran them one cycle and we said they're they didn't even ovulate anything they're they're probably going to be out of the program we had one of those last year this spring sean brought her back to my house <laughs> <laughs> one cycle and she was coming back home yeah well we had to move her into a special pen and she was with another cow but when she got out of that pen the only way we got her back into the pen was we took the cow that she was with out with her and we herded the other cow in and she followed along with them. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it happens guys. Like like we had taken this animal to the fair and then brought her over. So something, I am going to say that I think I made the mistake with training her and halter breaking her in, in groups. She'd never been away from another animal in her life. So the instant she got away, her natural instinct of fear overtook her ability for common sense. Yeah. And she just, 
we do, we feed a lot of in headlocks and she just couldn't figure out the headlocks that's why she ended up in the special pan and just had a hard time and just didn't work out with the system that we have and that's okay right like if she ain't gonna be a good donor don't leave her with your embryo guy because he's gonna hate it to have to do something with an animal that doesn't work and it's probably going to cost you money. That whole cortisol response thing is huge. So if she's in fear and running and being a, a nuisance, she's probably not going to be a good animal to collect. And why would you want to pass that on? Yeah, that, that's a heritable trait. Yep. You look at the Angus breed, they've, they have a docility marker on the pedigree or on the bull sheet. So it is a heritable trait. So if you breed wild cows, you're you're going to get more wild cows. The other thing I want you to think about too is, is you're going to have to cow, you calve her out at some point. And I've never met cows that are high tempered and high stressed. I've never been around one that is better that she had a calf and you were messing with it. Well, I, being coming from the dairy background, it's amazing like you get the heifers that are wild i have seen some of them they they're nuts when they're heifers you calve them out you give them a calf you get them in the parlor you get them to a new routine and some of them will calm down but there's others that they had to go down the road because the milkers can't milk them they can't work with them they're kicking everybody yeah just always the last one in and they just become problem and it, it gets down to a a cost you know how how much can i really afford for my help to get hurt and that's <laughs> or where are you going to find new help when they get hurt yeah that and that's becoming a big issue nowadays you know and, and another thing that i've noticed that a lot of people uh when they're making donor selection they're disusing whatever cow that they've purchased because that's what they have and i don't i don't love the idea that people are making embryos out of just any cow because we cull so heavy in our program that we cull a lot of heifers that I've seen people pulling embryos from lately. And that's that's our problem, right? That That's what we choose to do. But it is definitely something that, that I've been noticing more and more, especially with new breeders, is that no matter what cow they bought, they have to collect them. Yeah, and that's gonna get expensive because if you don't have a product that you can sell off of that, Embryo transfer is fun, but like I said before, if you don't have a marketing to where you're going to go with this animal, uh, you're going to go broke doing it. And and fairly quickly, because you're going to be spending thousands of dollars getting embryos that you have to sell now, and you're not going to get what you have in them, most likely. And when it comes down to donors, um, if you're going to spend money on something in your herd, make it on your donor because the recip animals they just about anything can be a recip well look at our recips sean they're they're angus animals angus yeah. cross animals and and i have a lot of guys that they have a hereford angus crosses and then they put embryos in there and they got some hybrid bigger so they they take really easy they raise nice calves but it's a cheap calf you know the cow's a decent uh, a cheap cow and so they have the money in the donors and all it takes is you know one or two good good donors and then your your recips can be about anything and and that's the thing i think people get caught up in i've used jerseys sean's doing some holsteins for me this year 
Um, and then, then regular registered Angus or commercial Angus, like we've kind of ran the gamut and as long as they're in good health and good condition, we've had decent results. Yeah. And the thing we, we talked about with one of our neighbors, uh, he did a little bit of embryo transfer and one year he said, oh, these are my tail enders. They haven't gotten bred with the bull the last three months. You know, let's put some embryos in and we got one out of 10. And so the next year we said, hey, can you give us the very first 10 that come into heat in your herd? And he's like, oh, they're gonna be way off and whatever. And so then we did those and he got nine out of 10. And so. <clears throat> if you if you have an animal that, that you've put an embryo in and she, she misses it and you put another one in and she misses that one, just send her somewhere else because as a as a recip she is no good or introduce her to the bull and yeah let him breed her this year because apparently she's not working on the embryos and that's not to say that next year she won't you know maybe she had a little bit of infection or something is why she didn't take and so maybe next year it'll you know you take them on that first cycle and go for it i have a little pot belly cow and she comes to Sean's and she's usually pretty good about taking an embryo and we struggled a little bit this year with her. She finally took one, I think four <laughs> into it or something like that or five. Well, she had some <laughs> other things going against her too. The The first few were like, well, I, these have just been floating around in my tank. I don't know. And I don't know where they came from. Like that's the scary part. Like I bought them somewhere and then they were cycled between like eight tanks and then they finally ended up in my tank and I finally remembered I had them, so we put them in. And I think I had to like, oh, this is what the mating is. Yeah. On a, like yeah, he, he didn't had, even he know had what to, they were. He had to tell me what they were because we had no clue. And unfortunately, they didn't stick, but. I didn't have high hopes for those. <laughs> yeah, when, when you go in and like, well, this is just a shot in the dark. Here you go, but. Well, and I chose her because she had been so consistent first round embryo taker for for the previous four years and that's why i chose her for this i had i figured if anybody had the best chance of taking one of these mysterious embryos it would have been her and i think it was like after we got rid of all those junk ones it was like the second yeah. first or second one in of uh, the good embryos we, we did a live one a uh, fresh one oh right. fresh one yeah you're like hey you want me i'm like it because sean was getting to the point where he's like do you want to bring her home like like we can't just keep dumping embryos i'm like oh no just keep putting them in there and he's like we'll do a fresh one i'm like perfect calls me 30 days later we take her home she's due to calve in the fall so and then uh you know I, i've got another cow that that she is exceptionally genetically bred but i have some embryos i wanted to put in and she got an embryo so she's not even having her own calf this year she probably should have but i chose to put an embryo in her well and that comes down to if you don't have to have her calf and want something else then that really is up to you. And it came down to me more being that she was here. I didn't have to take her anywhere and she was already here. That's really what it came down to. <laughs> <laughs> like the calf she'll be having is more valuable than the calf she would have had naturally. And that's one thing I do take into account. I would have never just put an embryo in her because that the embryo that we put in her had to be more valuable if that calf took than the calf she would have had live. And that's how we judge what we're going to use for recips. If my donor cow cannot produce a better cow than herself within two, within two years of in the program, 
we do not use her as a donor because she no longer gives me an advantage down the line. And, and my big D4 cow, she's produced not only better daughters, but better sons than their dads because she's involved. And that's, that's how we do a lot of things. Um, Sean gets the experience of the clubby people, which is interesting to me because they're more about the style and look of the animal, I think, more than anything. Yeah. They, clubbies are, that's a whole nother ball of wax. I mean, you're, I, I've looked at quite a few of those that some of them you're like, okay, yeah, the cow looks really great. And then they say, oh, we can get, get some really nice looking calves. But there's a lot of them that the, the donor herself is looks horrible. <laughs> And, but they're like, oh, you know, and it, it, it's really a, a gamble because quite often those, they got four or five different breeds on each side of the equation going into the calf and, uh, they have a little bit of everything. It's kind of a mixing pot, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you come out with, you know, you got to have this breed for the hair and this breed for the butt and this breed for the, the length and they put them all together and hopefully something comes out and it doesn't always work out but quite often they we get some guys that find the right ones and they, they do turn out and that's the big thing guys is we need to pick good donors for our programs donors that work in your program that you're able to take these embryos and market to your future clients and and you you should be proud that you made some good embryos like that that should be a cool thing um the one thing that I can tell you with donor selection that, that gets missed sometimes is making sure your donor's flaws are not compounded by the bull that you're using. And that's the hard part in Wagyu because most people haven't seen a lot of the bulls you're using to breed. And that concerns me, right? It concerns me because we're breeding sometimes inferior cattle because we've never seen the phenotype of the bull in which we're using. Or his temperament. You know, Sean just talked about heritable trait of temper. There are some Wagyu out there that are just terribly tempered. And I don't know where it comes from all the time, but I have a pretty good idea some of the time. And and that's the hard part with it. If you were going to go out and buy a new donor, Sean, what is one of the things that you would be looking for other than knowing what the production of her mom and granddam have been? What's another thing that you'd look for when you're out looking for a Wagyu cow as a donor cow? And would you choose a heifer over a cow? Um, something that I would look at, uh, I know they, there's a lot of saying out there that people like easy keepers, that they just get fed on everything. Um, just keep in mind when you get those kind of donors, um, you gotta figure out how to keep her lean to be able to work her because uh, most production animals they're having a calf once a year and you're that calf's constantly drawing the nutrients off of it but if you get a donor in there and you collect her for six eight ten months a year um, she's going to get put on some weight and you got to be able to figure out how to keep that offer and so she's an easy keeper i've had people guys guys say well these cows get fat on sagebrush and those ones they usually come in hog fat and they're hard to work with um 
when it comes to uh, between a heifer and a cow, um, I've done quite a few heifers. Uh, just realize that um, if you're doing a conventional version, um, I, I really struggle with cows that are under 13 months of age. Um, we've done quite a few that were 12 and a half months and they just crashed and burned. Uh, and we waited the five weeks till the next flush and everything took off. They just got a little bit more mature. Uh, so I, I really like that 13 months of age. Um, but with that, every heifer is going to be different. There are some heifers that they'll roll them out as a heifer and they'll go between 12 and then up to 18 months and flush just regularly. But there's others that, that it seems like, oh, she's not going to ever work. And then she has a calf and you never knew would have known it from her production as a, a heifer. And they're going to be hit and miss on those. So you're just going to have to be brace yourself for lower production. There is a possibility for lower production on those. Is there a point in there where it would be better to buy a second or third calf cow rather than play the gamble of bringing heifers? And here's the thing, guys. I bring heifers to Sean every year. It's just part of our program. If we're bringing a heifer, we're going to keep her retainer or, or we've sold her and we want to have some embryos before she goes. Those are the reasons we bring heifers in, it, it, mainly to preserve the genetics in case anything happens to the animal. And that, that's why we breed heifers through, through uh, AI or even embryo transfer is, is to kind of save that animal's genetics in case anything was to happen to her. Yeah, the, anything can go wrong on that first calving. She could prolapse, she could you know, get an infection, she could just turn up belly up for some reason and you didn't catch her in time and she could just die so i there is an advantage there if you can collect some embryos um, my ideal donor is about three to six years old uh, that second lactation to you know the fourth or fifth um, there are cows that will pump it out there when she's 16 15 16 years old but they're few and far between um to the, get those the cow that sean has been struggling with is one of those weird old gals <laughs> she hadn't been collected almost in her entire life and we bought her when she was like 13 so she's looking good then <laughs> she's looking good and she's and it has i think something to do with her not being collected either like that helps in her older age being able to have those those eggs available to release yeah most heifer or most cows will they have a set number but the nice thing with embryo transfer even if we did it in the younger age uh we're not exactly robbing from her older age with those oocytes so she's already going to lose those oocytes just through the through her natural process she's developing those um but the thing i think with not being flushed um we have to realize that this the fsh that we're using is porcine it's not bovine and so they naturally build up immune response to it it's just a foreign body it's something from a different species and so eventually 
which is why when you talk about we need to let this cow be a cow we need to go let her calve out um, quite often that's an opportunity to get rid of all those antibodies in her system um, and get her back to being receptive to the uh, FSH so we can get some production on them again and that's hard because sometimes these animals are popping out good numbers and I've had to do this for myself there's a point there where I tell Sean hey we're gonna do this many flushes and then I just come pick them up like that's just how I have to do it because if if I had it any other way I might float a cow along a little longer than we do here collecting embryos and, and I, I do believe they need to be cows. They need to be able to be an animal that they were born to be. And by us kind of playing God in a way and collecting embryos, we are changing how their cycle is working. And I do wonder sometimes if it's not detrimental to the cow long term. Um, but it, it, we, tr we do it the safest way we know how and, and we take precautions so it doesn't ruin them. So. And if you are willing to go through all the headache of doing all the high dosage FSH and you don't care, it's all about the embryo production, then you know just realize that you will probably end up 100% down the IVF road. <laughs> and you're, you're gonna have to just realize that that's where you're gonna end up and there's nothing you're gonna be able to do about it. I have been guilty of this. I have one cow right now down at IVF that that is exactly what happened to her and we didn't know better at the time <laughs> like we didn't do it intentionally we knew better I, we chose not to use our best judgment and we had an embryologist at the time that wasn't very good at educating us about what we were doing is wrong that was hard because we kind of knew something was wrong, but we didn't really understand the full impact until we were IVF people. That, that's what we had to become. Yeah. And that's hard to get away from. Is And I realize that you're like, everything about this cow, why you bought her, was solely on embryos, but uh, you can only work your, your worker so long before they pull out the picket line and rebel and that's really you know it, it costs us far more per embryo to be down at ivf than it ever does coming to conventional collection and most of the people i know are, say the same thing it costs me almost double if not a little more to go to ivf per embryo received back and then you're i don't want to badmouth ivf but from my experience the conception rates suck 40 percent is my average i will tell you right now and we do a lot of them I am not beyond telling you that IVF is not the most productive way, but if that's the only way you can get embryos, so be it. So how does that compare to your conventional conception rates? <laughs> 70 to 80 is pretty common. This year we're down a little bit, but I think it's because the weather sucks so bad. I think David figured out we were 50 to 60, somewhere right there. But with our weather this year, I think that we did well because our AI was low too. Yeah, and that's a good base to check yourself on. If, if one of them, you know, if they're within five to 10% of each other between AI and embryos, you know it's something other than your process that you were doing. Yeah, and, and, and let's be honest, Sean, this spring was rough here in Idaho. It was cold. It was cold, it never really warmed up. 
and it rained a lot. Yeah, it was cold and wet. And I, I guess this goes back to the law of averages, I think, caught up with you because yeah. the previous year was pretty. something. It was 79 points something because yeah. you're like, I'll round that up to 84. Well, we, yeah. we, we gave him 80, right? But, but that's what I tell people. I go, you know, we do some things a lot of people don't. We take such good care of our cows, our recips, our donors. But I will tell you right now, the law of averages is a real thing in this game, and you will find it sooner or later. And, and the benefit we have is is we have good bulls. So we don't lose much money on the calves if that embryo doesn't take. Man. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes you – and you think about the value of what you just put into those cows, right? Yeah. You know, I could flip most of those embryos for 1000 1500 a piece. We put them in. We don't get them. But that's the game, you know. I'm very, very grateful and lucky that the cows we bring to Sean are very good producers. So our cost per embryo is a little less than some people's. Well, and that's the benefit of owning the donor instead of owning, you know, just buying embryos from somebody. You're buying the factory. You're not buying the product coming out of it. And so you can hopefully, if you can find the semen and do all your research, you can produce embryos way way cheaper per on the donor than you can if you were to go out and try and buy all your embryos and i'm getting to the point now in in our career point that there are so very few embryos out there that are better than what we're making at home and that's just because we've spent the time right we've put the time in we found the cattle we brought them here we've built our herd around good cattle and i'm finding it harder and harder to find other embryos that I want to bring into our herd. And take the cost of bringing those in. Correct. And that plays into it too. They're like, you know, again, you're $1,000, $1,500, or I can just buy the cow for 10, 15, 20 grand and go make a whole bunch. And that's what it starts getting into because if I buy 10 at 1,500, that's 15K. I might as well buy the dang cow at that, right? Yeah. Come up with another 15 grand and then make my own embryos flush her two or three times a year even if you just do it two or three times and have her on an 18 month calving cycle i mean you can you could replenish your money in two years yeah it's a good cheap that's a cheaper way of doing it um you have to have the capital up front right like that's that's why everybody gets in trouble but we're at that point where if that's what we want to do we can and you need to find somebody a good embryologist that you can trust yep so there I will say out there there is a lot of good embryologists that are doing this they they love it they have a good passion for it and they produce good results but unfortunately I've also ran into new clients they're like man I we can't get above 10% conception on these embryos and it's like well what all has happened here is like well we had this new guy come into the area and he really wanted to learn how to do it so we practiced on our cows and (laughs) you know did it at a really reduced rate and you know and then started charging them some money but uh when we went to look at the embryos to say okay well why are we struggling on our conception rate here we can't get any pregnancies and uh, we ended up finding unfertilized embryos in their frozen straws so he he was charging them for 
embryos that we're never going to take to begin with. And fortunately, he had decided he was doing something else and had moved on, which is why they came calling to us. But it was one of those like, well, I'm sorry to say this, but you know, you had 10 embryos that we were supposed to put in today, but we're throwing eight of them away because they're not going to take anyways, no matter what we do. <laughs> they were never viable to go to start with, and they went in a straw anyway. And, and that's the scary thing, right? Like, everybody talks about their nightmares with embryologists, but that's really the truth. Like, you have to have one that's honest and that wants to help you and teach you things, because that's important. You know, Sean, Sean had to do a solid for me because somebody dropped a whole thing of embryos in the bottom of my tank. So he had to like help me figure out one day which ones were which and read, you know, he filled up a thing full of liquid nitrogen so we could read what's on each straw and get everything back to where it was. But I had come from a different, a place that we, we, we do our IVF at to, to Sean to help me because they, they weren't willing to help me after they made the mistake. That was a fun day. Yeah, yeah, it was a long day for Sean, I know. But. Well, well, I, and I enjoy doing that because that, that benefits you. And I feel comfortable doing that because I know, okay, they're in nitrogen. We're doing everything in nitrogen. We're not pulling them out and trying to read them and figure out and damaging them. So it, I'm almost more comfortable when I'm doing it than if somebody was like, well, I dropped some in there and I just decided to take it on myself and and then you start asking well how exactly did you do that and you're like oh yeah I just kind of pulled it up with some tweezers looked at it read it real quick and then tried to package it and this way you know we we did pull out some styrofoam we filled it up with nitrogen we knew okay we're not they're in nitrogen we're not damaging them and we, we still know what they were and we were able to inventory some stuff that I hadn't been able to inventory in a little while because I had got some stuff from another breeder and it just got thrown in the tank. Like they didn't know exactly what they had. They just gave it to me because I bought a bunch of other stuff. So and Lane was here that day. He was like, "Man, this is like Christmas for Steve." <laughs> yeah. And the funny part was, is there was some really cool semen in there that I didn't even know I owned. Like that. That. That's how cool it is. Original. Not original, but high dollar second generation semen that most people don't even get to see. Yeah. And we pulled out some of that was three and four straws of that yeah, stuff. It was, it was. It was a good deal for me. I was, a, I was a happy camper all the way home. <laughs> but, but then, you know, and Sean's also helped me sort my tank, right? I, at one point, um, I was like, Sean, we need to get all the red embryos in one goblet. And he's like, oh, okay. So it, it, he's helped me do that. that. Those are the things that you should look for when you're choosing somebody. Like, are they willing to help you when you need to do something like that to be the safest with the product that you've produced? Yeah. And there's a lot of damage that can be done. You're... There's a big temperature difference when you're going from 80 degrees to negative 320. There's and the shock, right? You shock an embryo, you're done. You've now ruined whatever you spent to make, and then you're going to put it in not thinking because you don't realize it's not good anymore. Yeah, and then you got the biggest cost I think to any production facility is maintaining the number of recips that you have, yeah. and you know. You work these cows for a couple of weeks, trying to put in that, well, in case of the 7-7, seven, seven, you're working them for almost a month, trying to get them synced up. That's a lot of feed, a lot of time, a lot of hassle. So I think we counted it out, it's 28 days of handling cattle almost every day. Not like 
actually touching them every single day, but like we bring them into a smaller pen. We manage them very closely for 28 days. It's only 21 if you're AI. And that's right. That's right. Sean, Sean remembers us that way. But yeah, and then we do both, right? Like we do, we do AI, we do embryo transfer and we have done that and we've keep track of both sides so that we kind of know if an environmental event happened versus something we screwed up. And that's why kind of I've liked the AI happening at the same time as the embryos. And that was a really good check. You know, okay, this was an environmental aspect, not a, a product a embryo. We don't have to look at the embryos or the semen. We I knew there was a problem when it was April and we had two heaters going. I knew we had an environmental problem then. And, and I bring out, I come out and I'm like warming up my hand that's outside the cow. Okay, yeah. it's thawed back out. I can push the plunger on the. <laughs> yeah, and that's and that's really what we had this year. Unfortunately, we didn't have a warmer spring like we've had in the past. And that's going to happen if you're in North Dakota, and I guess it won't happen as much in Texas. But well, they have the heat to deal with. Yeah. Well, if you're breeding in around April like we are, but yeah. it's probably nice and, but it can turn off. I'm sure they have the opposite effect that it could in April all of a sudden hit 100 degrees and now the day you're supposed to put these in it's hot as can be. It's terrible. Like it, and and that's the thing, right? Like we need to be mindful when we do these things and we need to be mindful a that the environmental factor will affect what our outcomes are. You know, the worst thing that I've seen people do is blame their embryologists for their own stupidity. Well, and I've had some people that they, they've they tried to look at everything. They've tried feed, tried uh, recips, tried a bunch of different things. We couldn't figure it out. They were still really poor on conception. And so they said, hey, I need to go try somebody else. And so they tried somebody else for a while, but the situation didn't change. And so they said, okay, well, it's not who's putting them in and so they had to switch to a different uh, other things and they eventually figured out the problem and they kind of did another trial between the two people putting it in they said oh well it, it you're getting the same rates together so it must have been this other issue and solved it cow problem that's what it was i always blame the recip that's what i do <laughs> if well, you were better yeah this this happened to be at a it was happened to be where they were keeping their cows and that as soon as they were able to, you know, cost was a big thing, but as soon as they were able to move those cattle to some place else, their conception rates almost doubled overnight. Just in the couple of months, they, they doubled and then they just kept going up and up and up that whole spring. And so we knew that that was the, ended up being the problem. And that's again, an environmental issue that they brought upon themselves not knowing, but it was something they had to fix environmentally to make things work. And and sometimes you're gonna be in those situations that cost-wise, you have to use some things and you have to make it the best that you can in what you have. And that's and that's the big thing, right? Like as as an agricultural person, you have to make things work. You can't just go out and buy new things all the time because eventually you'll either A, run out of funds or owe the bank so much they own your stuff that you don't live on your farm no more. Or you can't have that that donor not produce any embryos because now you're 
every embryo has to go into the budget. And that's scary. I hear it from a lot of new breeders and it worries me when I hear this. Well, my, my donor cow is only giving me two embryos and I have to have 10 to make it work. Better find a different donor. <laughs> and, and, th- and that's what I, that's why I wanted to have Sean on today because it really is, you know, your donor is what she is. She's either going to be a, a high producing donor, a moderate producing donor, a low producing donor. And she may float between one or two, right? She may go from moderate to high. She may fall down in the low. But she's not going to be a different donor just because you want, you wish her to be. Yeah. And there's some practices that you can do to try and change that. But typically, you're going to, right after calving, you know, like I said, I, I like to do day of flush is 60 days postpartum. Um, and usually in that 60 days and then that next flush after, those are probably going to be your highest two. And then some donors taper off slowly. Some of them drop like a rock. Um, and it, it's just coming down to finding out what that donor will do and looking at it. So when we bring our D4 cow home, the, one of the things that made that decision is when Sean goes, well, she fell off a little bit from where she was. And that was my decision point of going, okay, it's time to get her home, get her bred by the bull, and get her let her be a cow for a little while. Yeah. And she still gave us more embryos at that time than most people get. But for her, it was a fall off. Yeah. And it could have been that flush, or it could have been she was building up resistance. And that's another thing why you're trying to get the fat off of these cows is the fat actually will absorb the FSH. And so it becomes less and less potent and viable in that cow. And she was pretty large and in charge when I brought her home. (laughs) Yeah, she. we didn't thin her up, I can tell you that. Yeah, she went on some Jenny 20 when she got home and then got put in with a bull. So he's been running her up and down the field. So she's looking a lot more fit than she was when she came home with me. So, yeah, that's that's always the fun part. So, okay, so I'm going to give you a quick recap. I want you to remember a couple things for today, and I'm going to give you a little bit of advice before we leave. Um, I want you guys to remember that you need to find a good embryologist. You need to find one that's trustworthy, one that has the ability to help you progress. But also, you have to bring your embryologist a good donor cow. That That is pivotal to the relationship and to making things work. The piece of advice for Wagyu advice for the day is, is I want you guys to go and think about what your nutrition programs are because we're getting ready to get into a lot of nutrition, not only for our cows, but for our feedlots. So I want you guys to get out there. I want you to think about what your nutrition is, what your goals are with the nutrition that you have, and any anything that's causing your nutrition to be less than stellar due to price or availability. And with that, I'm going to let Sean tell you goodbye, and we will be done for the day. Thanks, Stephen. I've been really enjoyed doing these podcasts with you. And that'll be it for What's New in Wagyu. We'll see you next week. face in the pen he was gentle but in the shoot 
bucking machine. Mind over matter keeps you on parade. It doesn't matter when they open that gate for this living explosion with the dark red shell. You give you a ride through hell. Every few years a man comes along Who knows what he's doing and won't do it wrong He'll conquer the odds, he'll pass the test Above and beyond, higher than the rest So what do you do when you've done it all? You've climbed every mountain and jumped every wall Where the chance comes along like a great big feast The chance for the hero to ride the red beast They said he can be beat He's just a one of the rest But he couldn't be tamed Cause he gave him his best He's ready to go So don't be a fool He jumps like a rabbit And kicks like a mule He's quicker than a quarter horse Aggressive as a hawk Dismounting the muscle There were seven tough battles between the two gods Everyone thought the bull had the odds But the man had heart, or it finally lost Four eight second rides to the mighty Lane Cross Now both of them retired in their own special way But they'll both be remembered every single day They had desire to win and hearts to try Red Rock and Lane Frost were two of a kind. They said he can be beat, he's just a one of the rest, but he couldn't be tamed cause he gave him his best. He's ready to go, so don't be a fool. He jumps like a rabbit and kicks like a mule. He's quicker than a quarter horse, aggressive as a hawk, dismounting the muscle. Aggressive as a hawk, this mountain of muscle.